Balancing Death Kirk is a weekly KeyForge podcast focused on competitive play. The podcast is hosted by Kira Mode and Ko Dameron. The show is here for listeners to gain a better understanding of how to evaluate decks, how to evaluate their own board position, and how to anticipate opponents' decisions. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Bouncing Death Quark. I am Kira Mode, and I am here with Ko Dameron and Dave Flamerock. Now, for this episode, this is a banter session. So, we're going to be using our given names. So, it is Daniel, Colby, and Tyler. And Tyler's our special guest. So, for those that don't know, Tyler Parrott, he is the designer for L5R. Um, we know him from way back in our Star Wars days. Tyler was a really good Star Wars player. He had his own website. He got top 16 a bunch of times. He topped out at second at Worlds in 2014, I believe. Yep. And then, at some point, became the designer for Star Wars. And then, after that... Uh, became the designer for L5R, and so he has fixed a lot of the headaches I have in that game. And now we are going to bring him in here to hopefully talk about some of the headaches we have in Keyforge. All right, so Tyler, tell us a little bit more about yourself that I didn't immediately cover. Um, I mean, you covered the the gist of it for my involvement in card games. I would mention that I have a long history of playing Magic as well, so I oh, yeah. can speak a lot to Magic <laughs> the Gathering. Oh, yeah. Um and I still follow it in a, like, well, my friends play, and so I'll play on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, and uh, frankly, it's, like, a really valuable game to learn from. Um, in a lot of ways, L5R is where Magic was in the, like, late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing, using the lessons that they learned uh, over the past 25 years to maybe expedite our process towards... Um, I mean, towards just trying to feel like it's as exciting and approachable as the one of the most popular card games of all time, if not the most popular card game of all time that doesn't involve a deck of cards. <laughs> yeah, and um, but back, but L five R, you're the lead designer of that. I remember uh, when that happened. I was so excited for you and yep. to to know <laughs> Aww, just uh, one of the one of the uh, the head designers of one of the card games that we love is uh is awesome and to have you on this show to be able to talk about um some of the choices that uh ffg is making with some of their games and keyforge is a really great idea and what we wanted to start was just distribution and talk about how card games have come out in the past how ffg has changed that formula and what they're doing now with the one of the most unique distribution models i've ever seen in keyforge um well so i'll preface everything with uh, I am not as up on Keyforge as you guys are, probably, mm-hmm. since you guys talk about it every week. Um, <laughs> and I mostly focus on L5R. That said, uh, I have a lot of perspectives on the back end that maybe can be valuable um, in so much as I have the ability to talk about them because I only know so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I, I want to I frame this conversation in a way that uh, is, is personal to me. So a big reason why I started playing lcgs is i just i got really tired of the ccg format right i just hate having to buy boosters or scour through the secondary market for like cards just for for financial reasons and then that's just kind of a pain in the butt so it's like okay lcgs you buy all your all your packs right and, it, and you know exactly what you're going to get now of course the problem with lcgs that i discovered is that it's great if you're all in right like if you're if you're if you're the kind of person that's going to buy everything it is the cheapest way you can play physical card games the downside is it's not super inviting 
to new players like you know you, you mentioned magic one of the beautiful things about magic is if i go into any card shop i can just go and buy two decks right i can buy two commander decks i can buy like you know a jace deck or, or whatever you could right? draft like, yeah they have or, yeah the, their magic has a lot of i mean and by design a lot of entry points right you have the the planeswalker deck series which is designed for new players you have mm-hmm. fixed decks like the commander products that you've mentioned they have drafting they have i guess they don't do um pre-constructed well i guess the pre-constructed intro decks they used to do are now just have planeswalkers in them but yeah um yeah they they also just have the blind buy right like i could just mm-hmm. go in as a new player buy like a um, a fat pack or something that has nine booster packs in it just open nine booster packs and okay now i have the beginnings of a collection oh, or the deck the, builders toolkit or right like <laughs> the fat pack oh I, those got me so many times they still exist they're, they're great <laughs> they feel good um and i mean like that's what the deck builders toolkit is all about right is like literally this is a product where maybe it has like three rares and just like 200 uncommons and commons just to say here's just a bunch of cards to get you started yeah and, but it's and- cheap but also, like, the starters are huge. Also, Pokemon has that, too, right? Like, if I want to jump into Pokemon, I could just go and buy the Eevee deck, or I can go and buy the Pikachu deck or something. And maybe they're not the best decks, right? But, like, me and a friend, we can buy two decks, and we can play each other, and we can figure out, okay, do we like these mechanics or not? Oh, dual decks. I was going to mention dual decks. Oh, yeah, dual decks are great. Out of, out of print now, or out of design. They're not making new ones. Well, but they're still there, right? Like, you can still yeah. go buy them. You can still go buy them. And, and the idea is, like, the low low entry point is a really big thing to get new players in the game because like yep. for those of us that are super into the game we don't have a game if we don't have casual players right if we don't have players that mm-hmm. get in on at the ground and like the game and then want to grow in the game we're done right <laughs> like we end up like star wars <laughs> where it's just like 40 super hardcore players and that's and, it and not much else yeah <laughs> and, and that was uh that was a big problem with star wars because once you get to four or five cycles, you have to buy all the expansions. You got to buy double core sets. You got to buy whichever cycle has Yoda in it, or you just buy everything. <laughs> and and it was it was rough. And on top of that, it was a tough game to learn. It was hard to yeah. teach. It was hard to play. And um, that was one of the things that wasn't LCG specific, but one of the things that KeyForge I think does really well, which we've talked about previously. The entry the entry point is much lower because of the distribution you can just buy a deck you hardly even need tokens you can probably bum off of someone else or just I, make I, something up i literally have never bought a keyforge starter because i just have other tokens and i know how to play <laughs> like like let's be honest before the game came out when they gave out you know hun- uh, tons and tons and tons of decks at gen con like none of those were starters people had decks that were playable of keyforge before the game came out before they had rules or tokens or anything yep. and people were still able to play because the game was simple enough that you could more or less figure it out you know with a few uh instruction from someone who the, knew what was going on the starter set doesn't even have a rules book in it wait it doesn't is that true i've heard i that. don't know um <laughs> it seems like it should it'd be a pretty big deal if it didn't don't think that's right okay i think I it does wrong. have a learn to play the rules reference is online but, right. The, I mean, I mean the big rules reference book because that's what I need no. to go by. Oh yeah, they definitely don't have that. They like, definitely don't have a, have a rules either. reference. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, no modern game, no games that that we come out with. Uh, but like back in the, in the last st- few years, do do physical rules reference because like it's easier to just have a here's here's the book, the physical mm-hmm. book out of the box that will teach you how to play the game. If you need anything more complicated than that, go look it up online because that's gonna get updated as time goes on. <laughs> And that's that's kind of the big thing for me is that I still have this core set Star Wars book that's 
torn up and battered in my bag, but it is so out of date just because of all the little tiny FAQs that have been up, have been updated since then. It's just there for the timing structure on the second to last page. That's the only yeah. reason the Star Wars rulebook exists. Yeah. <laughs> now, now bringing this back. Now that's not entirely true, but I won't belabor the problem. All right. All right. So, so let's, let's bring this back to Keyforge. So in Keyforge, uh, the, the beauty of the game in, in my mind and, and why I feel like it has legs is it's just so cheap to get into. And so seeing as how we're about to have a new set, one of the things I'm wondering is what are the unintended consequences, right? So like in like as we've been talking about with, with uh, LCGs, the unintended consequence of just having these expansions be super cheap is that at some point it's not cheap, right? At some point you just have to buy way too much stuff and it's uninviting to new players. Right. So is there like a downside to having all these expansions? Like will like will like FFG see like a decline in sales or something as a result, or is there some other problem that we're not seeing? Well, so the short answer is nobody knows, right? Yeah. Um, even be- like before the game came out, no one knew if Keyforge was gonna be a hit or a dud because it's such a bizarre un unprecedented thing like on the one hand it's probably the easiest card game anyone can get into because you pay ten dollars you buy a deck you know it's more or less on par with everyone else's deck like Mm -hmm. you're not going to have the feel bads of like oh well this guy paid four hundred dollars for his deck and therefore i can't beat it ever because it's full of rares (laughs) and mythics right like that just doesn't happen um on the other hand uh, there's no deck building and deck building is such a big feature for hobby games like this that people love like mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons that I like L5R as much as I do is because there's so much you know rich deck building mm-hmm. now admittedly there's a, a lot more to deck building in that game than even in Magic or Star Wars ever was two but like <laughs> two decks and seven <laughs> clans and yeah it's all, all sorts of nonsense but my point is like deck building like the take another lcg that i'm uh uh, very i'll I'll say very into i got to design um the most recent cycle for it uh which was or parts of the most recent cycle for it which is the lord of the rings living card game right oh yeah um it's a cooperative card game with deck building and and you're playing as heroes going up against some story that is you know sauron's forces or whatever but the point is the reason that I love that game as much as I do is because the deck building is really, really, really rich. Like I have spent full just afternoons doing nothing but building Lord of the Rings decks. And it's been great. Um, The same is not true for Arkham because there's a lot more of an involved deck building process with Arkham Horror LCG, which kind of lives in the same co-op space. Yeah. Arkham feels a little bit more restrictive uh, in, in what you're allowed to build, but it almost feels like deck building as as a verb, as an action, as a sport, as a facet of the game is so ingrained into card players that it's almost shocking to take it out of Keyforge. And I've kind of, uh, I felt bad in the beginning because I wish, we, we talk a lot about, oh, I want to have this card in my deck and we yeah. I, I want to see this card. I don't see this card. And when we, we review decks, we all often talk about them as if they can be tailor-made. And we know that they can't be. And we're not insinuating that you should go on um, on some, some, the secondary market or buy a on bunch eBay. of packs to, to get exactly <laughs> what you need. The, the bigger idea is understanding uh, – what, what I've taken from Keyforge is I like reviewing decks. I like understanding what decks do, what they could do better, and understanding that since I don't have a bait-and-switch, since I don't have these tools, I have to compensate for it in other ways – 
in my playstyle. It's almost like deck building has been replaced by deck analysis, and that's a different muscle to flex, a different sport to play. Yeah, should, so uh... um, w- one of the benefits that I think we have is that because we come from Star Wars, this is a much easier skill for us to translate, right? So like when I played Star Wars, you have to learn to evaluate sets of cards, not a card, right? So it's, it's a lot of like, okay, when I see a new set of cards, what do I want it to have? What what composition do I, like? Do I need the cost to be a certain level? Do I need the pips to be in certain spots? Do I need certain types of removal or whatever, right? In so when I look at, yeah, in Star Wars. So when I look at Keyforge, a lot of times when I'm looking at lineups, I'm seeing how do the lineups interact with each other? Where are the creatures located? What type of removal is in the deck? And where is the removal located, right? Because like a removal card inside of a main house is very different from a removal card in a support house, is different from a removal card in a burst house, right? And also what happens when decks don't have clearly defined houses, right? can they still function or not a lot some of them can some of them can't right so you know this analysis is relevant because you think about it most people have a ton of decks right people think about like like i think where the where the stigma of the no deck building comes in is the thought mm-hmm. that like oh i only have one deck so it's just whatever i pull i got but most people have like a dozen decks or also like you know if you are willing to go into the secondary market on ebay at any given time there's literally a thousand decks on there plus whatever's what? on decks of keyforge but what if I really want my deck to have eight horsemen in it? Pay pay lots of money, right? Pay lots of money. That's <laughs> yeah, what I guess. Get, I mean, get the chase deck. The, <laughs> hold on. Well, the way I look at that is, why do you want horsemen? Is it really that strong? Um, how can you beat it? How can you live without it? Can you do it with four horsemen? And I think the you know, you know what the answer to that question is, right? What why? is the answer? Because it's cool and no one else has it, so therefore I want it. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, when you start talking people, about yeah. when you talk about that's double why people time chase traveler decks, that's why du- people chase horseman decks. People chase chase tra- double time traveler decks because it's that and it's good, yeah. right? So that is that is a, a common a thing where you know I want a double time traveler deck or I can't compete. And I the the place I come from is that 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 method of thinking is a little bit off. Yeah, well, and that, again, that, that I, comes I, back I do to agree our, about that. That comes back to our Star Wars background. One of the things we learned is there is no card that is irreplaceable except for Yoda, right? So, <laughs> oh, listen, listen, it wasn't just Yoda. His whole set was busted. <laughs> okay, no, but but the point here making is you could give me any card in the card pool, right? Yes. Light or dark side, and you give me a deck that has it, and I can give you a different deck that replaces that card. Now, you might have to replace some of the cards around it. Right, so if I have Palpatine, Palpatine kind of naturally synergizes with Vader, who naturally synergizes with Council, right? That's how the core set was. Well, you know what? Over time, you can say, okay, well, what does Council do? It gives you resources and card manipulation. You can get that from other places. What does Palpatine do? He kills guys. What does Vader do? He also kills guys. Well, you can get it from other <laughs> Turns places. Turns out killing guys is good. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is there are other ways to the path. So it's like, oh, I want double horsemen it's like well why do you want double horsemen it's like well i want to have eight bodies that have five strength and i want a way to revive them it's like okay well maybe i give you a disc lineup that has two snudges a bunch of five strength guys and then a rise right nice now, now i take i would rather have that deck that deck sounds great that sounds cool. <laughs> actually one of my uh decks this for is, the this Vault is Tour super has fun that, pretty much yeah you know? and and that's where spoiler you're like, alert well i mean it, it's already played it's it's <laughs> this guy got but, top four over here Nice. But but the but the point the point here being is that you know you have to look less at I want one specific card and more of I want one specific effect and how many ways yes. can I get that effect and where do I search within my collection to find it? Would, so would you consider the like I really like the flavor of having these special cards. You get Master of Two, but you can't have Master of One also. 
Um, would you would you consider there to be any mistakes in the card pool, uh, Daniel, or, or even Tyler, as far as card design goes, as far as set design goes? Is there anything that we want to see in the next set that can either be influenced from other card games or our first set? Um, I, I, I can take a lead on this. So yeah. I, have, I have two general complaints of the card pool in the first set that I hope gets fixed in the second one and going forward. So the first complaint is there's just too many cards with amber on them. Right, like racing decks should not be a thing, and they're only a thing because there's a bunch of cards that just have amber, and you can put too many of them in a deck. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really good cards in set one, and I think from what we've seen of set two, I mean, this is going to be old news in a couple weeks. Um, set two is going to be a lot slower. So, it, without trying to date this video or make it, you know, or this um, this podcast, Tyler, what do you, what sort of things do you go through when you're trying to design a card and a card pool? What what sorts of things are important to you oh boy oh boy that's that's a very <laughs> open-ended question i left it open for you i could start in a lot of places um so the number one thing for uh designing a, a card set so i'll take a l5r cycle for example or a star wars cycle or a, you know a, a cycle of cards where it's like we're adding a new theme or we're adding you know uh a new play style to such and such faction mm. um mm -hmm. the key is to sort of have an idea of what you want that to look like and then provide lots of different tools that either play towards that or develop it in different ways um do, do you often find yourself trying to reimagine or give new like take a, 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 a house a faction in a different direction uh, i think that's so I think that's what, one of the things I'm going to be looking for in this it's next what set. It's what my lions need. Bad. Short it's answer. It's what Mars needs right now. <laughs> short answer, yes. Um, when you're trying to... So first of all, not every new set is going to provide a new play style or a new deck archetype for every mm -hmm. faction, right? Like, um, all fairly explicitly, like, uh, the Children of the Empire set for L5R added dueling to dueling as a deck archetype to crane and dragon but it didn't really do anything new for phoenix phoenix just kind of did some more of the same um yeah. they didn't get any new decks uh they just got some powerful new cards mm -hmm. um so not every faction needs to get a new deck or a new style of play in every expansion because not all they don't always need it sometimes adding a few new cards to all of that faction's existing deck archetypes is enough uh, because it gives new tools to the styles of play that people already like and have. It's when those new, those existing styles of play already have what they need that you're like, okay, so I don't need to give anything new to the like crab crabs never die deck. Uh, yep. <laughs> so I'm going to give the crab deck something new. So like in cycle yep. three, which is going to start coming out in the next month or so, like um, that faction in L5R is getting a completely new play style with a completely new theme. Go for it. Um, so what, what, what's, what's interesting about that is you're talking about a redefining a play style for an existing house. Let's, let's just say you're crabs. I'm, I'm going I'm to take it to, take it to Keyforge. I'm going to take it to Mars, right? Yeah. Um, I want to keep Mars as this really strong combo house. Well, when you rotate in Keyforge, you don't have many of your old cards. We know that a lot of the cards, some of the cards are staying and some of them are leaving. So how would you go about, would you try to rebalance the set? Would you, um, 
Are you trying to introduce new powerful cards? How would you go about creating a, a, a really strong card that has some sort of crazy effect, like library access, something that is unique to itself, but, you know, you don't want to break the game, right? So, like, my take on cards like library access or bait and switch or uh, what's the, the the crazy Mars one? There's a crazy Mars Key one. Key abduction? Battlefleet? Draw a bunch of cards? Compod? Key Mars abduction, probably. Compod, yeah. Compod's, <laughs> Compod's big. Compod's really big. Brainstem antenna? Um, yeah. Right, so, like, a lot of these big, flashy, memorable cards, and I'm especially talking about library access here, right? Memorable, like, I like. Like... Every time a library access goes off, you're just you're you're gonna remember that game and yeah mm-hmm. probably um, unless they are doing a really weak library access. But like even the weak library accesses, you're gonna forget, but you'll remember the big ones. You'll remember mm-hmm. the ones that like and then they spent twenty minutes and comboed out and won. Yeah. Um, right. Like those are the kinds of cards that I, as a game designer, want to not bring back because. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want you want the memorable thing from the next expansion to be something new you don't want it to be like oh here's this here's this card that everyone loved from the first from the first set and if I have the opportunity to reprint it in a new context like um, I don't want to water it down by making it exist for longer more it would be better if the memorable things from the second expansion or the uh, 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 from future sets are new so that people have new things to remember to, to remember and new things to get excited about or get get upset about you know if, if they're uh if they're gonna have bad beats because everyone you know everyone hates bad beats but everyone kind of secretly loves bad beats because it's fun to tell the like and then let me tell you about this ridiculous way in which i lost because my opponent had all the right things and i made one mistake it's and still a story attacked on turn one it's like still a story it's still right, a fun now, story. Tyler, you're touching on something that it ties into my second complaint of the card pool. Um, and, and there's arguments for and against it. So my second complaint of the card pool is there's just too much of a disparity between cards that are good and cards that are bad. Right? So like in my you know, idealized world, every card would be equally good on balance. Right? Mm-hmm. Now maybe some are more situational than others. Right? So a card like, say, Snuffle Gator pretty consistent card but then a card like osmo the martianologist a little bit more of a high variance card right it's typically worse yeah, but it's occasionally weird. way better right mm-hmm. um and, but, but the idea is that on balance they would be about even or take a mm-hmm. card like uh dust pixie versus troll right dust pixie is sure. typically better than troll but in a lot but like if you're next heavy board control you definitely want troll want the over troll. over the dust pixie and that would be the idea that it's just like every single card in the pool would be about even like if i just gave you any two cards you could say well they're about the same right just depends on the type of deck that that you want will determine how strong i i view this card but there are other cards in this game that are just strictly better right and you're just like why does this exist why do you have a card like nature's call in the card pool when fear is also in the card pool you know that's where i'm like okay hold on a sec this is insane that this is allowed to happen. But like, you know, you just mentioned memorable, which is the other side of it, which is, you know, if you don't make cards that do flashy things and have explosive plays and can potentially get broken, you just end up with a game that might be a little bit too bland. So is there a way to create cards that can do really crazy things, but also are situational enough or countered enough by the card pool that 
they don't just have the potential to just wreck the game by their existence. Well, you've just asked the question of how do you make a game balanced and fun, uh, which is to say <laughs> it is subjective, it is an art, and it is very difficult. Um, <laughs> there's a number of ways, there's a number of angles that you kind of have to take when you're looking at a card pool like this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. On the one hand, um, you want there to be um, cards that are big and flashy and memorable. Those are your haymakers, right? Yep. The like slam down the card. All right, here's the threat. Answer it now, or you lose. Yep. Right. You also want your card. Some of your your workhorse cards. Your your hits is what I call them. Um, the idea of like this is a card that by itself doesn't do very much, but it builds you towards an incremental advantage that will eventually win you the game. I, I love. Yeah, I was about to say Sequus. <laughs> he is the incremental advantage card of, of all cards. Of yes. all cards. Right. So, like, you want there to be both, but the thing is, the haymakers are more likely to produce feel bad moments because, you know, by definition, they can win the game on their own. That's, mm-hmm. that's the point of a powerful card like that. Yeah. Now, if you took all the haymakers out of a game, you would end up with a game that is very grindy, that uh, just comes down to to resource management um, doesn't have any big emotional climaxes or events. And more importantly is very, very difficult for someone who falls behind to come back to get back in the game. Right. Mm. It's like basically if, playing crab mirrors and L five R over and over again. Yes. Like if <laughs> that mirror is really rough. Um, <laughs> if, if, if the entire game is all about incremental advantage plays, then once someone gets an advantage, it's really hard for someone else to incrementally get past them, right? That's yeah. what you need your your big haymaker to be like, all right, so I'm down five cards and I'm down three amber. What am I going to do? Because, you know, I had some chains and you out-ambered me. What am I going to do? I'm going to slam this card. And now, you know, it's going to draw me five cards and maybe I can use that to get back in the game or whatever, right? But it was um, situational. It had some sort of a weird cost. Maybe it gave you chains. Maybe it had no mega keywords, something like that. So that's, that's the, that is a balancing mechanism, right? right. Is to make it situational. Um, I was just reading an article the other day about the nature of the three point line in basketball and oh, how, Oh boy, because I'm excited for this story and how, because there are some players who are really, really good at three pointers, um, they can just only do that, put their team on such an advantage that the other team can't, can't catch back up. Now, on the one hand, you could say, okay, take away the three-point line. But then it's just like whoever scores more hoops wins. So a potential answer to that is, well, you could change the rules and say the three-point line only gives you three points if you are already behind. Right? Situational. No, well, so like... It's well, let me adding... Move. Exactly. It's adding a condition to make it more situational without necessarily taking away the catch-up mechanic well, now that introduces other problems but yeah, you bring up a good point about. for for the threes because he, here's where the fundamental problem of the three-pointer basketball comes in <laughs> we're and talking about basketball now okay so here's okay, the, daniel so don't worry it's, it's all math so yeah. in basketball a typical shot depending on where you at are at in the court so if you're by the basket a typical shot's about a 60 percent shot and it gets you two points right so you're looking at about 1.2 points per possession if mm-hmm. you're taking a mid-range shot it's about a 40 percent shot Right, so now you're like at like 0.8 points per possession. Now the problem with the three pointer is that three pointers, once upon a time, they were like 20% shots. 
right? So if you're, if you're shooting yeah. a three, you know, it's 0. 0.6 points per possession. It's kind of trash, right? Like mid-range is already kind of bad because it's 0. 0.8. So you're like, why would you ever take threes? You'd only ever take threes if you're way behind. But now you have enough three-point shooters that can hit three-point shots at a 40% clip, right? Yeah. And so now you have this thing where not only is it a catch-up mechanic if you're behind, it can also it's be a steamroll mechanic. It's, it's also just, just your game plan. It's right. just your new game plan now. Yeah, a three-pointer is 1.2 points per possession if you're shooting at 40%. So that's about as good as a shot at the rim. And God forbid you're Steph Curry and you're taking open shots. You're, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're, they could be better than a dunk. And that's where you're like, okay, now, now we have a problem. And like in Keyforge or any card game, you have the same sort of issue where Key- it's like, the big this play is, cards are too consistent. This is Bouncing Death Quark, your premier basketball analysis uh, podcast. <laughs> um, no, but actually I do want to take this back to Keyforge because you gave me a, a good a good thought. So for, let, let's take let's take Troll again. Troll is mm-hmm. your under-the-basket shot. He is going to rape every turn, and you're going to get him. Yep. Let's, take, let's say that he's your 60%. He's your, your money shot, right? Yep. And in a world where Naughty the Thief and Umbra – I'll take Umbra. He has skirmish. He dies every single time. But when he fights, he does three things. He takes an amber, he makes an amber for you, and he takes out a guy, right? Yep. He's your three-point shot. In a, and as you were saying, it used to be the case that no one takes three-point shots. They were inconsistent. If yep. Umbra is in a world where he dies, he's your inconsistent three-point shot. But once you find a deck or a scenario or a metagame where Umbra is going to live every time, you're just going to start shooting threes. Basketball and Keyforge yeah. coming together. Or, or you could just take a card like Nature's Call, right? Yeah. So Nature's Call, it has, <laughs> it, like, look, it has more the potential. Audible than, su- the audible groan. Oh. Or, like, look, it's, or, 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 like, even a different card, like, say, Lights Out, right? I'll give you Lights, Lights Out. Out is almost always stronger than Troll, right, if it hits. On the other hand, though, even if it doesn't hit two creatures, it's still good, right? It like still that card's got you an amber. That card's never bad. It, even if it only hits one creature, it, it's always good. Or like Lost in the Woods. That card's always good, right? Yeah. So you have this problem where it's like you have this card, like Lost in the Woods potentially can get you two for zero, which is insane. If it kills two of your guys, kills zero of my guys, and gets me an amber, that is way too powerful of a card. But even but if that it situation kills, is pretty, like you have to be pretty far behind for that situation. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like as a comeback card, it's great. But even if you're a parody board, if I kill my two worst guys to kill your and, two best guys oh, yeah. and get an amber, that's mm-hmm. still an insanely good card. So that card's just never bad. Right. Right? And that's really where the problem is, right? Where when these like super high um value cards also get good value when they're not when they're not in their situation that's prime, then it becomes an issue. Tyler, one of the things that you've that you've said to us in the past is that uh, the best way to design cards is just design things that aren't broken, and then later there'll be less things to fix. Now, uh, that's way easier said than done. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> um, it, it's it's more I about. I feel like, I to use L five R as an example. I feel like I leaned too far into the keep it safe category. No, you didn't. Uh, no, <laughs> it's all good. Specifically in the context of Children of the Empire, that expansion, I feel like I kept it played it too safe on almost all the cards in, the, in that set um, okay let, let, let me let me defend almost everything in that set i think it was all fine except lion was made intentionally garbage that's my favorite clan and i was offended <laughs> i've been offended by pretty much everything since the core set <laughs> okay so there's um there's a lot of things with that set that i feel like i could have made a few tweaks that would made a lot of cards that everyone just kind of doesn't want to play with more appealing. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's informed my later set design, but 
that is an example of it is possible and it does happen to play it too safe. Um, to which the counter is, okay, well, then you have to take risks and make powerful cards. And yeah, you accept that. But also at the same time, like, you want to be intentional about what risks you're taking. That's the important part. Like, it's, you, you can... Yeah, I think this is one of the things that Kieran Mode and I react to a lot in, in Keyforge. We think that set one takes a lot of these risks, and they're all very powerful. They're all overly strong. And from what we've seen of set two, it looks like they're dialing back, like you did, and t making things a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more conditional, a little bit weaker on the whole. And hopefully they can compete. Maybe there's other things that we haven't seen yet, but from what I've I've talked about you, not just in this example, but you and I have designed cards before. You and I have talked a lot about how cards should look in the past. And that experience of let me make a set, release it, see what people say, find where their opinions match ours, don't match ours, and then use that going forward. It takes a couple tries before you get the right balance of what the card game is going to look like. And in Keyforge, we don't even know what the card game looks like. That's what we were we were talking about. This is a completely new thing, right? Especially with the the idea of balance coming from the randomness of decks. It's harder to design a card pool with that in mind because we don't know the implications of it. Or the designers don't know the implications of it from the get-go. I mean, so, and then that gets me to another point that I was going to get to. But first, I'll finish my previous thought, which was um, when, uh, when you're going about designing a set and you're like, okay, so I want to make some powerful, exciting cards that might be too good. And I accept that they might be too good. Um, but I want to make them enticing and get people excited and make them powerful mm -hmm. and potentially push the envelope. Like you want to be intentional about where those are. You want them to be, you want to, to push the cards that are fun experiences uh, and fun playstyles rather than just like pure value. Like um, library access seems incredibly intentional. Yeah, there, there like, was no the whole point of that, that card. Mm -hmm. Like the whole point of that is like this is going to be for the people that want to play combo decks, and so we're going to make it good, and we're going to make it good at playing combo decks. It has a, a target audience there. Now with Keyforge, this process gets significantly harder, right? So in L five R or Magic or Star Wars or any other card game, if a card is weak, I guess this is less true for Star Wars. If a card is weak, people won't play it, <laughs> at which point the game be becomes defined by the most powerful sets of cards. Yep. yep. Right. Um, the fact that, again, to use the crab as an example in L5R, the fact that the crab deck hasn't fundamentally changed since the core set is because they haven't gotten any good new cards since then. Yeah. Um, or at least their cards haven't worked for that specific deck. Right, so like they've gotten some good cards, but they need to be in a different type of crab deck that doesn't exist yet. Right. Sure, but my point is that like even the bad cards, or even the cards that are more situational or for a different deck type, or or are are just bad. Like those cards don't see play at all ever, mm -hmm. which means that um, the game fundamentally comes down to a few number of cards that have a high impact. In Keyforge, that's not the case because every card is in every deck. I mean, theoretically yeah, at least. Can, can theoretically get played, right? Right. You can't so, avoid like, that, a card in a deck. That means that, like, you could have a card that is really, really good in a specific. Like, like, library access as, is a great example. Mm -hmm. That card is busted in the very specific condition 
that it is meant to be busted in for the specific kind of player who wants to play it. If the rest of the deck it's in doesn't support that, then it's a bad card and you won't, you know, it'll be forgettable. But if the rest of the deck is design is is produced to reinforce and support that library access, suddenly library access is the best card in your deck, is the most memorable card in your deck, and is going to feel overpowered to your opponent. Mm-hmm. Like because it's conditional, it's inconsistent enough that it doesn't become like game warpingly dominant or whatever, which is what you want, right? You don't want cards to be so dominant that you need to issue errata or introduce a restricted ban list or, you know, do whatever it is that these tools that developers have to balance the game after the fact. But because Keyforge doesn't give you the opportunity to maximize specific cards, the variance of individual cards is going to be very high. It's not like, okay, so if a busted library access deck comes out, like, are the developers going to errata or otherwise nerf library access as a card because of one specific deck like that would have ramifications for every other deck that ran library access ever um one of the reasons that you see bait and switch get narada is because it doesn't have those kinds of conditions and just every deck it's in it's good just it, all the time it's forever fine it doesn't stand alone right yeah. it doesn't need support for it um and that's that's but that, that harps on a lot of why I give library access a hard time on the whole. It's not a great card in eighty percent of decks, and and that's a really good way to put it. And that probably and that goes back to why designing cards like that, these haymakers, are so difficult in this sort of game. Um, and like, because like in other games, for example, you would just you when in other games when you design a card, you assume that it's always going to be in its optimal environment for the most part. Yep. Right, like if I design, you know, a a powerful dueling payoff like Miramoto Daisho, I'm not going to say, yeah, well, in some decks it's going to be, you know, winning games on its own, and in some decks it's going to do almost nothing, because we assume people will only put it in the deck in which it is designed to win games. Right, right, that yep. doesn't happen in KeyForge. Yeah, something I was going to mention is that uh, with KeyForge rotation, it's a very interesting way to rotate cards because I would put it similar to like, you know, the the way magic rotates cards where it's like they just have mm-hmm. an updated core all the time so yep you don't have to worry about the game collapsing on, on itself right so like basically library access you know we'll just keep talking about it it having that card in the card pool in like a theoretical card game is just going to make any sort of recursion effect a problem right mm-hmm. any sort of card that enables you to duplicate library access you just always have to consider because it's too dangerous Right, but in like future sets, you could just say, "Oh yeah, we're just not going to have library. We have too many recursion effects in this set, so we're not going to put library access in this set." Mm-hmm. And you could just pick and choose where yep. you have stuff. Um, so I like that a lot. One of the things I wonder about it though is they've said that the card pool is going to be evergreen, right? So like set one stuff is going to be legal forever. Now the actual yep. cards in set one may not show up in set ten, right? Correct. Almost certainly, but won't. the decks that are produced in set one yeah. are. And so, so my question is, uh, if you were designing Keyforge, would you have some sort of rotation schedule? Like, let's say Worlds 2025, you say you can only use the last six sets printed or something. Or would you try to keep it evergreen, if you could? Um, I mean, there's a lot of pros and cons for both, obviously, which is why this is a discussion and not already predetermined. Yeah. Um, 
Just, just spit. One of the major factors for rotation with every other card game that is not Keyforge is production, right? The reason that Magic only has the last two sets or the last two years worth of sets in standard mm-hmm. is because at some point they stopped printing the sets from three years ago. Yeah. And to, to require you, like, imagine Magic didn't have standard and everything was legacy. Like, people would just imagine, have to go try. Imagine you were playing Yu Gi Oh! Like, people would have to go find cards that were printed 20 years ago in order to play the, the freaking game. And that's yeah. just not acceptable, right? Keyforge doesn't have that problem fundamentally. Um, yes, if I have a set one deck that is super cool, or if I want a set one deck that is super cool, like I'm yeah. going to have to go find it on the secondary market, but that is not required for me to compete. That is not yeah. required for me to play the game. I can still play the game with the newest set. I could play a set five deck against a set one deck, and it should still be a fun game of Keyforge, right? Um so what's, what's interesting theoretically is, that shouldn't be necessary to rotate. They're almost sets. certainly going to stop printing set one decks. If not at the start of set two, at some point they'll stop printing set one decks. And oh, of yeah. the trillions and trillions of options of the set one decks, there's only going to be, let's say, one million or I don't know the number. Let's just call yeah, it. It's probably about a million or two. Let's say there's only one million potential or existing set one decks. There will never be this exact combination of cards from set one. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. You can never guarantee that. Like, if I were to go to the set one card pool and, like, home build my own deck that theoretically the algorithm could make, of course, that's assuming you know what the algorithm is, which even I don't know um, because <laughs> I don't work on the game. <laughs> the but, sauce. Um, oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, that, that, um, that, that's probably as under lock and key as, like, the McDonald's uh, <laughs> like the Coca-Cola formula. It's like Coca-Cola Basically. formula, McDonald's secret sauce, Keyforge algorithm. Keyforge algorithm. The um, Keyforge algorithm like, is the Karth gold mine. If like anyone said, ever backsolves that, oof, that's a lawsuit. I would, I would be impressed, first of all. It's complicated. I know that much. Um, like, let's say that you you know, went on a deck builder and built the Keyforge deck you want mm-hmm. out of set one, assuming yep. that it follows all the algorithm rules. Like, you can't guarantee that deck exists for the reasons that you said. Right. Not yeah. all the decks are just ever going to be printed. There's just too many decks. Um, and that's a good argument for why keeping them all evergreen is not catastrophic as it could be in the Yu-Gi-Oh! world. Which sure. I'll, which I don't know just, so much about. Well, and also, like, the thing is that, like, a set one deck is going to be powerful in a different way than a set two or a set three or a set four deck. And that's what um, I'm hoping. I'm really hoping that they introduce new card play styles, new yep. strategies, and that they're strong enough to counter and challenge and make interesting matchups between other uh, sets. I hope that becomes a very vibrant and um, complicated matrix of matchups. Yeah, well, because right now in, in the card pool, Racine is far and away the best type of style you can have. In our opinion, but yes. Right. But maybe in set two, it just becomes a complete grind fest and it's all about board control. Because something that I that I've that I'm speculating on is let's say they introduce a whole bunch of like amber clamp cards and the game just becomes who can build the dirtiest board. Right? Now, I actually think that the strongest board control cards, like from what I've seen between set one and set two are actually in set one just nobody plays them right like like sure it, because it, the alternatives are stronger well it's racing just racing is stronger racing is just too strong yep, but like my thought is like troll is stronger than any brobner card i've seen in the next mm, set okay 
I'll give it right. to you. He's, he's eight strikes. <laughs> Dissension already. Himself, right? And then also, are they going to make a rise in the next set? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Right? So, also, Snudge is insane. It's just like, building a deck that's 100% board control doesn't work because you need to have Amber control. And if you don't have Amber control, you just get blown out. Oh, and that's but, how you'll lose. You'll oh, that's, try to have that's... a... So, my thought is, yeah. if you're up against a deck in set two... That's just all about amber control. They just put the clamps on amber, and the only way you're beating them is if you just build a bigger board than them. Maybe now there's like some set one secret tech that can come that in. That all of a sudden is relevant because the, yeah. the set one decks that were bad because they lost to the racing meta are now going to be good again because we're no longer in an all race all the time. Meta. That would be so cool. I would be so excited. I would do. I would do like an episode and a half on that, just saying, "Oh, you guys, <laughs> this is the secret sauce. We figured it only out." Only an episode and a half. Come on. We can probably do a little bit more. Kyle, you got to see my streams. They are long. They are great. Oh, okay, valid. <laughs> um, um. Anyway, yeah. The 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 challenging thing there though is that like there are limits to playtesting, and mm-hmm. so like that is of course the goal, and I think everyone would agree that that is the goal. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that we do a good job of balancing things. You know, now in 2019. Um, we have not been yet contacted for more playtesting, so I cannot agree with that statement, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can always be doing a little but, bit better. But the you're always going to get more data when the game comes out mm-hmm. than after the game comes out than before the game comes out. That's just a fact of every card game. Just ever more players playing. There's a reason that um, there's a reason that cards like. Uh, Emrakul get banned in Magic, and there's a reason that cards like Charge end up on the restricted list in L5R with like 12 other cards, because I'm trying to make it kind of like it's banned. Um, and there's a reason that cards like Bait and Switch get eroded, or... Not yet, uh, but... Oh, what's the... One day. Sources say what, it's coming. What's the... Right. What's the thing? What does it do? Um... What, what are you, when what are you the creature dies, it goes into your archives. Oh, biometrics bi- bi- backup. Oh, that yeah. was that, one. that was like a design mistake. That was less of an errata and more like this was the intended thing, but we worded it wrong. Yeah, I don't they consider that one as much. Of is well, That's but all. here's the thing, right? Is that that wasn't a mistake. It was intended to be a may, but and and it was play tested as a may, and it mm-hmm. was played as a may. It wasn't until after it came out and people started using it in unexpected ways that oh. they're like, "Oh, I see. Oops. We we need. It's creating problems that we didn't anticipate because you know we had a hundred play testers and not like a thousand play testers. Well, yeah, people um, just started complaining, right? It's an unintuitive ruling that like it yes. works when you suicide yourself, but it doesn't work when your opponent kills you, right? And people are like, "Why can't it just work all the time?" You know? Exactly, and so like obviously that was fixed in the way that it was. But yeah, there there are a lot of ways to look at just the card pool and the balance, and I want to just give some credit because the the Keyforge designers they made a good game, and you know the decks are for the most part on par. If I go to a sealed event, everyone's you know in a, in a good spot. Good players that pilot decks well do better, and that's how it should look. So I think the card pool and the game itself is is still strong. All right, so let, let, let's uh, transition to the last part of our discussion. And, and this is the not-as-smart part of the discussion. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about prizes. Because part of <laughs> part of like games is you need to give people a reason to show up and play. right? So you, you need to have some sort of incentive. And oftentimes, 
like the, one way to do that is you can give prestige right maybe you get cer certain points towards your player rating like they do in magic or you can give them um, physical prizes you know you can say hey look if you play you get these promo cards or whatever and i personally feel like the prize support in keyforge is the worst prize support i've seen for any game i've ever played and specifically um, from ffg ouch. because we we've played a lot of ffg games the cooperative ones i've seen arkham sets i've seen l5r prize support and you know i've seen star wars support and yep. i've enjoyed a lot of it we've <laughs> everyone's going to complain about oh this mat looks bad this week oh another box give us something new we want a force flipper everyone's going to complain but yeah. specifically in keyforge i don't feel like we're getting the tools the products or the support that we that that's going to keep me coming back or or invite new players to this game yeah i mean i like the amber sharks like those are good right so like mm -hmm. when you can say regardless of what happens if you show up to an event we'll give you some digital prizes that you can one day redeem at a vault tour or something else that, that's cool that like, doesn't got... that doesn't get new players from zero to into the game some digital know, points i'm just saying like I, I i like that i i wish that they would give us better tokens like i think the damage tokens are just horrendous well, let's let's talk about just as a baseline of you know what what, what is it it's middle of may 2019 at this yep. point in 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 keyforge's history the prize support we have is little uh, there's a lot of key tracker uh chain tracker tokens there's a lot of paper uh they're like the half size cards uh, i've <laughs> yeah. seen damage stun power uh key plus amber and there's a lot of complaints that not only they're just kind of they're not great cards they're hard to read i want tokens there's there's been a little bit of tokens given out there's mm -hmm. um there's the little metal ones they're one on one side five on the other and they they're silver that which doesn't really match anything in keyforge and then i want to talk about the one thing oh there's there's keys they've done keys and there's metal ones there's plastic ones those are pretty good also the flipping nature is terrible like so mm. of those little tokens like, yeah like sometimes they just get flipped in a game by accident like, why can't you just give me separate ones and then threes or something? So the, the like, one thing, the one token that I have enjoyed is I went to PAX Unplugged and I saw, and they, and they had some prize support, the little acrylic yellow ambers. Yep. Awesome. Those are good. Perfect. I want, they look great. And there's, I've even seen little red one on one side, three on the other. They look like a damage splash. Great. And for me, I want to see those in every uh chain bound on my local event i want to be able to be a new player come in and get these this cool little bag of like five or six amber to probably six because that's a number in keyforge mm -hmm. amber tokens right um but what Just i've seen so far right? is like like put good yeah. prize support available also there's no promo cards so like this is a game where you could just make an alt art bait and switch and then just have it be inserted into your decks by putting you know opaque sleeves like that's not a hard thing to do and they just haven't done it uh, so, Tyler, bring us behind the curtain a little bit. You're a designer, right? When you say, like, if, if there's going to be prizes for L5R, how much of an input do you get in that? Because like, L5R does have some pretty dope prizes that are worth going to events for. So I'm going to start premise this by saying that um, our organized play prize team mm -hmm. um, has gotten really good at making the things the kinds of prizes that they make right yeah promos play mats deck boxes that kind of thing mm -hmm. um, they've been doing that for a while and they've gotten really good at that and now all of a sudden keyforge hits and it's like okay game components are no longer a compelling prize you can't do promos 
you can do tokens, which is what they've been doing, but at a certain point you end up with so many uh, promo uh, stun or whatever, or amber tokens, or mm-hmm. you know, yeah. metal metal chain, uh, not chains, metal tokens. No keys. Um, keys. Oh that, yeah. Like eventually, like it, you run into sort of the same problem that I feel like star wars price support had went back when we were playing that was like oh cool it's another playmat i've got 10 i don't need a new playmat right um right like um so a lot of the things that we are used to providing as prize support and i mean it works great for l5r so we keep doing it in l5r and that's why you said the l5r prizes have been really cool and i agree yeah but like it's the same thing that we're used to doing which is mostly promo cards yeah. Um, you can't do that in Keyforge. So a lot of what the Keyforge organized play prize structure has had to do is like in a world in which you can't do prizes the way we've normally been doing prizes, what are the prizes? And the answer is we have to R&D it. We have to figure it out. Like, mm. um, mm-hmm. So to answer your direct question, how does it work? Well, uh, in the... Um, when I first got brought on to work on Legend of the Five Rings, uh, the organized play prize people would contact me on a fairly regular basis to be like, hey, I'm making a new, uh, you know, tournament kit. What kind of, what cards are people really into that people would want to come to an event for prizes, etc." Yeah. Uh, and I would advise them and be like, hey, here's what I think. Here's, here's some advice. Um, more recently... Uh, they have come up with like I don't know exactly what it is we'll call it an algorithm we'll call it a program we'll call it some data crunching software or system where they actually take the top decks that people are playing you know that multiple people are playing and they crunch the numbers and they just see you know factually what cards are people playing the most of we'll make prizes of those right so that's how you end up with um Cards like Let Go or Rebuild or um, the Imperial Palace as prizes because they're in everyone's decks. Yeah, um, that, that is something I've noticed. So when when L5R, when I started playing it, I would say that the prizes were pretty... They were good quality. I was just like, why are you giving me this card? Like like some of the cards were just bad. And you're like, curry, this curry is, favor? Yeah, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't need this. But then over time, you're like, oh... That card is in like three of my decks. Hmm. I kind of, I kind of need that card, right? So you're like, I, I want to actually show up and play to get that. Um, I, I want to give a little pushback on the promo cards though, because I do feel like you can do promo cards in Keyforge. You just have to say you use opaque sleeves, right? Well, the the big thing would be that the front wouldn't have the name, the back wouldn't have the 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 Archon that's the card, thing. and that's that's a real problem. I think that is not the, to be underestimated. Not- the the opaque sleeves is fine, but the fact that it doesn't have the Archon name on the front is is kind of a big deal because that's a major part of deck checking. Yeah, and I think I think that there is a world where you know R and D they're they're working on stuff, but this has never been done before, right? There's a world where they come up with a happy medium, something that OP can deal with, and then once we do get something like that, you know, Tyler, there, there's cool stuff coming, right? You you've mentioned that there's uh so. Can't tell um, us what's coming. The prize know. team is the the prize team. Of course, now has a new way to that they generate data for what prizes to do for L five R, right? Mm-hmm. Which means yeah. that um, 
I don't need to answer those kinds of questions. Now I still need to answer the question of like, hey, we're making a prize kit and we want to include some cards from a set that hasn't come out yet. Like, what should we do? Because obviously no one's playing it yet because it doesn't exist. And I'll offer advice there. But um, because uh, Josh and Alex, who are the the heads of Organized Play now, Mm -hmm. um, they are doing a lot of innovation um, on both the events and prize end. And I meet with them maybe uh, every two to three weeks to to try to keep in touch with what they're up to and let and let them know what what I'm up to and um, work together towards a common thing where they'll be like, hey, we want to do this thing, and I'm like, well, don't include that, you know, don't include restoration of balance in a in a prize <laughs> kit because I'm going to errata it in th- in two months, like <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, not that exactly, but stuff like that, like. Um, or, hey, like, like L5R has to work with organized play a lot more than other games because of the whole role mechanic, which is a game design, a part of game design that is implemented through organized play specifically. Um, now, Keyforge doesn't have well, that. Well, that's a, but, that's a really cool thing because that's never really happened that, that, that much. Tournament results and player votes don't very often directly influence game design and game direction. Right? No. Um, so in I, fact, not at all. And that's kind of L5R's shtick. Um, right. But what that means is that, like, I am in fairly regular touch with them. Um, I know a lot. I, I hear about some of the wacky ideas that, that they're coming up with. And they're really cool. And they're really exciting. And they're really awesome. For Keyforge. And, and L5R. Cool. But yes, also for Keyforge. Um, and it's just a matter of how do they make them. Hmm. Um I can't tell you what they are because I don't know if they'll exist. Um, I'm sh- I know some of them will, but um, but you, you and I don't can't know how anything. that they will be produced. But they, I think I think in 2020 people are going to be saying very different things about organized play than they have been saying in 2019 yeah. because by then the transition will be complete. That's like that's my hope. this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff takes a long time to produce. Like think about uh, like when a card set gets developed. Like, let's take Magic the Gathering as an example. A Magic the Gathering set gets developed a year and a half or more before it comes out. Mm-hmm. Like, they finish, they they about finish work on those sets over a year before the set comes out, right? So now imagine mm-hmm. that you have to do something equivalent for prizes. You have to figure out how they're going to get printed. You have to send the print order. The print has to get done. It has to get quality checked. It has to get sent back from china if it's being sent from china like or from europe if it's being produced in europe like um uh the production process is not short and to have to r&d prizes that are new and unique and unprecedented because the whole point of keyforge is that everything is new and unique and unprecedented right right yeah Um, they want to match they don't want to do old boring tokens if their whole thing is we want to try to be new we want to try something that's never been done before Exactly. And that just takes time, right? And so that's why, um, I mean, even a lot of the organized play initiatives that that we're talking about for L5R that theoretically could get turned around much more quickly kind of still have to wait for 2020 because, like, you need the prize kits there to support whatever cool, crazy nonsense you want yeah, to th- throw out to players to encourage them to come play. This is, this is kind of where, where I'm sitting personally with this 
is that I am a little frustrated with the current prize support, but I'm taking it as I know the game is new. I know this is a lot of um, a big undertaking for them to do this thing that's never been done before. And they're still trying to learn a lot of the steps along the way. And what's exciting for me is to know somebody like Tyler. We've talked before and to at least have hope or instead of just complaining about what's happening right now, being like, you know what? There is something cool coming along. FFG does listen to the community. They know that people like promo cards. They know that uh, it, we, we all know it's hard. We know that there's weird things going on with it. But, you know, one day when there is some sort of promo card, maybe there's something that we as a community don't even think of. We, we can't imagine what's going to happen. And one day we get these promo cards. They let you replace cards in your deck if they get damaged. And they do so much more than we had expected. So I want to keep hopes high for what prize support will be in the future. 2020 sounds like a great year. I can guarantee you some of the prize stuff that we have been talking about and that they are currently r and no one is even conceiving of or talking about That's or considering so cool. in the player community. That is like, so cool to think of because I know that a lot of the things that I think about are just things that I've experienced before, things that things, I've had before. Things that seem impossible are exactly the kinds of things that are impossible to do or impossible to provide are exactly the kinds of things that uh, Keyforge prize support is trying to, to pursue. And that's what Keyforge, the game, is providing its players. Things that that's seemed impossible and honestly were impossible in the past, right? It's not yep. just the algorithm that is the secret sauce. I'm sure there's enough secret sauce in the production of the decks themselves that discovering that would blow the whole economy out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, a funny thing that, that that's happening right now. So uh, Tyler being the designer of L5R, and having the unfortunate reality of having me as a friend beforehand is Uh-oh. that he gets bombarded by questions from me about what's happening. Uh-oh. And Tyler has a way of telling you something while saying nothing at all. Right? <laughs> he has a way of being like, don't worry, the solutions are coming. Okay, no. I have... <laughs> this man is a professional. There was one There was one major tournament in Star Wars where he had me convinced. There was a FAQ dropping like the next week. He told me about it. And, he, and I'm like, this is definitely the errata. I am guaranteeing you that Yularen goes to one. I've got your number. And he said something like that kind of confirmed my suspicions in my head. And then the errata came out and it was totally different. I got so mad at this man for doing his job so well. Yeah. Mm. Well, have you guys, have you guys ever seen like the, the CEO of Twitter, he went on like a press tour to basically say, hey guys, Twitter's Twitter's all good. All the things you've heard that are bad, everything is fine. And then people would <laughs> ask him news, questions. Fake news. Well, no, he wouldn't say fake news. He would just like, his answer to every single question, like like they'd say, hey, here's this thing that's really bad in Twitter. How are you going to solve it? It's like, or where the problem? We have like five guys on it. I got another team over here on it. We're going to do this, this, and this on it. And then, but like the problem could be fixed in like two minutes if they just wanted to. But then he just he'll just like go on for a while. And I'm like, that guy's good. Tyler has the same DNA of just like insp- <laughs> because like let me tell you the amount of good things he's told me because like you've heard me complain about my lions multiple times in this episode alone. Yeah, <laughs> many more complaints previously, and every time it's like, don't worry, Daniel, I got I got you. In a year, hey, Daniel, you're gonna hey, Daniel. have me hey, signing all of your lion cards. <laughs> Daniel, have you seen the new clan pack? I have seen. I mean, but have you seen it? 
I, I've seen the box. Tyler, I'm Tyler's very, seen it. Very excited. Tyler's I'm, certainly I'm, seen it. <laughs> um, yeah. And one, one more thing I just wanted to mention. The same goes. That's step one. We were talking to Tyler. The same goes for um, erratas. So if mm-hmm. the bait and switch thing, uh, if library access seed, now that we're understanding that, that the library access Nepen- uh, Nepenthian seed are it is somewhat degenerate and, and the community is in an uproar about it, you know, even if FFG agrees with them, with the community, it still takes them a long time to get that errata through the the design, the approval process. Right, Tyler? Yeah. So, I mean, I should definitely clarify, like, I am not... I spend so much time working on L5R that I do not have the time to know even what's going on in Keyforge development other than the like most basic of events. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what is coming or when or how or what, uh, but I can talk about the process. Um, yeah, that's why. And the process, and and the process is like, um, at the end of the day, the development team has for the most part um the final say on like what changes get made because at the end of the day game design is game design um and so like you'll do some rule do some rules updates you know you'll you'll write out some updates to the rules you'll write out some updates to some cards um you'll do what it is that is required to address the problems that you're trying to fix right like oh no, like people are misunderstanding this ruling, so maybe I should rewrite the rules to clarify it better, or the, the, um, the first people FAQ, have a problem with this card, so maybe we should, you know... The first FAQ had a bunch of great examples of, here's an ambiguous rule, here's an example in the FAQ, the official document, to help you get around that. And I guess yes, getting that and, list was, was great. And and I actually am a very... I'm, I'm a big proponent of putting that stuff in as in plain text in the rules as early and as often as possible right mm-hmm. like um to use l5r as an example i've now put two faq question and answers in the faq for legend of the five rings four cards before those cards come out like there is an faq in the current rules document that answers a question about a card that will come out later this year this is this is, is the kind of sneaky dna that tyler has he can slip this right under your nose and you don't even know what he, he put it there Oh, don't oh, worry. Um, we're and, we're and, and the reason <laughs> is because, like, um, and the reason is because, like, um, on the one hand, you want people to understand how your game works so that they play it right, so that they enjoy it, and are not bogged down in rules, legalese, that then gets everyone frustrated and we all quit, right? Yeah. Um, one, an- one angle to address that is to make sure the text on your cards is very clear. And obviously we spend a lot of time trying to make that the case. Mm-hmm. Another one is to make sure that the rules are very clear and we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that's the case. That said, sometimes things slip through the cracks and, you know, the community sends you a rules question and is like, hey, how does this interaction work? And you're like, well, rules is written. It's like this. And they're like, that seems kind of weird, but I guess I believe it. I would not have gotten to that. But because we're following rules as written, yes, that's correct. And then when I see that response, I say, okay. Clearly, while this is still the rule, like if it came up at a tournament where someone who is not me is judging, they might not come to that same conclusion right away. And then you would have the player and the judge arguing because the player has it from the internet, which came from me, the developer, and the judge just has it from themselves. So you just want to get every like potentially confusing situation covered in the rule book. So when the judge looks it up, the answer is right there for them. 
and I've heard a lot of a lot of complaints about just rules in general and people always say oh yeah ffg always has rough rule documents that's because they make complicated games that have that have depth to them right i i i I buy into the yeah ffg does this and that but i know that there are people competent people smart people like tyler um that are not only working on you're welcome not only working on making (laughs) sure sure these games are great and fun but that they work tyler hates it when his game's don't work when when things i remember at the end of the star wars run he had one final faq that cleared up so many little things it felt like housekeeping as a as like a send off to star wars to kind of mm-hmm. keep it safe for the future um and i i want to i want to i want to believe that i i do believe that keyforge has that same that same housekeeping intention and it might just take a little while right it does yeah. it does and um one of the i'm going to talk about two things that will uh delay rules updates from coming out right mm. one of them is just like critical mass at a, like if i get i'm not going to go through the process of updating the rules to add a single entry to the FAQ or to add make a single change to the rules mm-hmm. um what i will do is i'll collect all these little things and then release an update six months later that's like okay so this covers all these questions that we've had like um like uh people have had some questions about how copying characters work so we added that in and there was some confusion about how province the provinces get laid out so we added that in mm-hmm. oh there's some new cards coming out so we put the rules in for the new cards uh yeah. the new keyword mechanics or whatever and like and there's this whole little laundry list of like what you said housekeeping basically um, and you you want to wait until there's enough that it's worth going through the process of putting out a rules update, mm-hmm. um, but not wait so long that it's no longer relevant. And the other, um, what's the other thing that delays it? And then the and then the reason that this is an issue is because putting out a rules update is not just a I changed the rules now put it online and we're good. Like first of all, any rules changes or or, or balance updates or. Um, uh, or FAQ editions or uh, whatever, um, like the one that I just put out for L5R, like all that has to get play tested first of all. Mm. Yeah. And that is often a long process. People were calling for, so I just uh, updated the rules for Legend of the Five Rings that included balance errata for a few cards, um, where I actually changed what the cards do to make them weaker because people were concerned about their power level, right? Some of those people have been calling for for a year. And yeah, it was, I, know, was I cool. yeah, and I spent that year making sure that this was the right change at the right time in the right way. So it's not like um, if it feels like it's a bit late, it's because in this case, balance errata, you want to make sure it is the right change because it is the change you get. Yeah, there you are can't no change. There, you can't change it twice, and you can't undo it. That is huge for it. cards like bait and switch, where people obviously see that it's strong. It wants they want to you want to fix it, but you have to make sure you have the right fix, and that takes time and attention, which is being which is um, being put in. And so once once you have decided on the change that you want to make, um, we're talking a lot about balance errata, but this is just as applicable for rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I've adjusted the rules for L5R a few times uh, to cover up to to clean up problematic Which is great. Um, like, interactions pa- like there was a mechanic in uh, l5r called passing second player fate. fate 
Hmm? You yeah. mean second player or, fate? Or, yeah, second player fate, sorry. Where it's like, if you just go second, you have a fate, which a fate in L5R is huge. Imagine if you, you know. started with an amber when going second yeah. in Keyforge. Yeah, they, yeah not well, bad. Okay. It'd be, it would yeah, be like that. Yeah. Okay, continue. <laughs> but but the, the the point here being that, like, being willing to look at the rules is nice. And, like, just the fact that FFG will allow you to do that is a big deal. So if down the line, if we realize that in Keyforge, something like maybe first player having seven cards is just too strong, right, or something, maybe they just say, you know what, we're scrapping the rule, right? It's going to be each player starts at six or something. And then you have some other you know way to balance it but i i, I do quite I, I do quite like that they at least allow that because i feel like magic wouldn't ever allow that mm. right magic i can't speak to the magic rules team they have a, a dedicated rules team for that game i right? believe yeah. that um uh and uh so they're just there because their structure works differently than ours i can't really speak to it um but i do know that like they are willing to adjust their rules but again it takes a lot of time and a lot of testing before they're ready to make the change. These things don't move quickly. So yeah, I know that um, just to kind of wrap up this whole errata talk, there's a lot that can be changed. There's a lot of people that have subjective opinions about what should be changed. Um, but what's important is that FFG does listen and it takes time and the there's a lot of thought put into it. But from our point of view, uh, the Bouncing Death Court uh, Quark podcast we're just part of the community right you yeah. are one of the developers of at ffg we're just community members and what we can do is at least understand that um if the community is collectively upset about a ruling or confused about something or wishes something was different um that being together about that uh, that that frustration is heard by ffg right that, that that's kind of what i'm trying to get at yeah, uh, it takes critical mass um, sometimes for feedback, especially on major changes. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes it takes pretty much critical mass of people hitting on the same topic to uh, provide the the incentive for us to go through something that is a major change to a game because every change is going to turn away people. So you have to be very judicious about changes. You mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Tyler, this is great. Glad you came on to our show to talk about a game that's not even your game, right? Like, I don't have an L5. I mean, I play it, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you play. I mostly it, just like, play it as a fan, and not ju- and I do very little on the back end. But yeah, I mean, we, we do we did a little bit of grilling, and uh, <laughs> it may not have been totally fair, but we're, we're glad you came. Uh, for those of you listening, we are bouncing Death Park. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. You, we are at Death Park for either one of them. Also, if you want to get extra content from us, Codameron does a lot of streaming on his uh, YouTube channel. Just look him up. It's Codameron. Uh, join our Discord. We have a link in all of our social medias to get an invite. Uh, tell your friends about it. Uh, see the show. And also, uh, we just introduced some merch. So it, it's fairly new. We might still make some changes to it. But if you're in our Discord, you can find a link for it. And you can get some Bounce Death Park t-shirts. You can get some backpacks. Uh, you can get like a sweater. And, you know, represent the team when you go to events and grow the show that way as well so i'll catch you next time on fear mode that's code dameron and dave flamer thanks so much bye bye now